Underpowered Hour. On this week's show, we discuss the yet-to-be-released Defender 130, and we finally welcome Michael Bishop to celebrate Arthur Goddard's 101st birthday and talk about Michael's book, They Found Our Engineer. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Stephen Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about my cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or check us out on Instagram at thebarriscollection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thank you to everyone joining us today. I'm the inlet over exhaust valves to Stephen's variable valve timing. I'm the side valve motor of podcasting, Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online on Facebook, Instagram at Pangolin 4x4. Let's get started. All right, Ike. Well, in the news this week, I don't know if you had an opportunity to uh, take a look at the Defender 130 spoilers, as all things in the UK, as, as we know, uh, are kept uh, top secret. Uh, nobody talks about anything ever, true. except that everybody talks about everything always everyone Um, is an aspiring q yeah everybody has some secret thing going on with a land rover secret passages and uh, secret rooms and panels and secret handshakes and uh, it's just a bunch of masonic motherfuckers over there apparently apparently secret garden parties in the middle of covid that's uh, oh yeah that's a big deal who huh Ouch. Tough. Hard they to love, imagine. They love secrets, but they hate when other people have secrets. That's exactly right. Yep. That's exactly right. And you know what? Who can blame them? So in the in the tower of uh, in the tower of secrets, uh, the Defender 130 uh, was spoiled, apparently, uh, by some patent drawings. Did you see the patent drawing? Uh, it's like the I actually think they first of all should just announce vehicles this way as like child's coloring sheets. It's uh, you know, it's just the line art drawing, the patent drawing of the sure. Defender 130. Uh um, and I actually think, uh, A, absolutely going to print it out and have Cooper color it because it uh, looks like a great coloring sheet. But also, proportionally speaking, like we said when some of those like renderings and stuff came out, it looks a lot better. It, it does. really, It really it does. does. Yeah, I like the overhang changes the way it looks, and proportionally, it looks more similar to the classic Defender, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it does. And actually, it's funny because it's kind of the one – I. I as you know, Liza and I have been uh, locked in uh, constant, unending conflict on the 90 versus 110. I may be switching to 130. I mean, I, I think I might uh, I might be on Team 130 over Team 90 now. Uh, again, if you take into account, I still think the 90 looks the best, and I still think, like, if I had a choice without any need to actually use the car to do anything, that the 90 would be would be super fun to have. But the 130 seems like the ultimate sort of practical vehicle. I don't think I would get the extra you know, the seventh, the 700 seats in the back of it or whatever. Um, but just the cargo space in the 131 would assume it's like a foot and a half longer or something, right? So it's got to be, it's got to be significant in there because I, I don't, you know, the inside of the new Defender, it feels like the walls of that car are three and a half feet thick because it's so big on the outside. And then you open it and it's sort of like appearing inside of an English, you know, chocolate croissant. There's just, just a very small tube of emptiness down the middle of it. I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, the modern cars have to have all that uh, insulation and uh, soundproofing and safety gear in the doors and you know, 900 you know, miles of wires and things. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. They should just make the soundproofing out of computers, save some space. Oh, that's a good point. Make the whole airplane out of the black box material. <laughs> yeah, that's a good uh, That's a good point. I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm on Team 130. I, I'm interested I to see one in person, um, but... I think it looks pretty cool, and and it should make it a little more functional. I think the 130 and the 90 are are the best in terms of uh, aesthetic proportion. Definitely. Yeah, which is interesting because I think previously the 110 of the classic Defenders was probably the one they sold by far the most of. I think that's the yeah. that was the most popular model. The 130 was pretty niche and really more of like a utility thing, and the 90 they certainly sold a ton of. But I, I don't think anywhere close to the 110. But now I think you'll probably see. A lot of people who bought 110s will migrate to the 130 because the 110 doesn't have it doesn't have a ton of room in the back. It's a it's a it's pretty little back there, um, and the 90 of course is non-existent. So you can fit a shoebox back there. Everything has kind of moved back on that car, right? The hood is quite a bit longer. Bonnet, if yeah. you're of that persuasion, yeah. uh, is quite a bit longer. The rake of the windshield is yeah. less steep, yeah. and so it you know it kind of has this. Um, appearance that everything has sort of migrated towards the back and then once once they got to the back they were like oops oops we're, we're out done. of room we're done we're yeah done. we're out of room <laughs> yeah. um yeah. and so the 130 kind of solves that problem yeah. where it it overall looks more proportionate yeah i agree and uh i mean theoretically there's more room for you know batteries and things for the hybrid version there's you know just generally more room on the roof for your roof accoutrement your roof decorations uh, you put a chimney up there, you know, weather vane, whatever. You know. The roof pack. The <laughs> you get the you can put. I wonder, can you double stack the uh, the spice racks on the back of the one thirty? Can you do the a side by side sandwich? Oh my goodness, it'll be great. You can yeah. have one for dry ingredients, one for wet ingredients. It's fantastic. Probably. Oh, I can't wait. You can have a double wide ladder on the side. You know, maybe a, a fold <laughs> That's out an patio. American option. Yeah, the the double American wide ladder. Double wide ladder. Yeah, ah, it's going to be perfect. I can't. I personally can't wait. I, I personally can't wait. So speaking of can't wait, uh, came down to the uh, workshop uh, the the other night. If you saw my Instagram post, there was a a, a magical uh, puddle of uh, coolant on the ground underneath the stage one, and uh, realized that you know that tiny little hose connector that uh, allows the overflow tank to uh, spew out coolant into the overflow tank was just spewing out coolant around the little connector. So it had finally. Finally, uh, it had finally given up, and uh, so uh, tearing uh, that thing apart uh, was last night's job to get to get it off to the radiator shop. I would I would uh, solder it back together myself. I'm certainly uh, <laughs> capable, maybe with heavy air quotes, of doing that. Um, but you know, it uh, it looks like it's um, you know it probably needs a trip to the muffler to the radiator shop. I'm going to take it to the muffler shop. Coincidentally, we're going to take it to the radiator shop. Don't give do the, that. Have them do the once over. There's a great classic uh, radiator place here in uh, Northridge, which is where all classic things are, and uh, get them to give it a once over and just make sure it's good. Unfortunately, you never want you never want that. You never it's want a pile not, of cooling. It's not going to be good. I'm sorry. It's never going to be good. It wasn't good to start. So no, it's it's a uh, you know 50 year old yeah. like thin British Leland brass. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's the uh, and of course as you know the stage 1 has a basically unobtainable radiator as it was one of the parts that is like a one off for that car and Yeah, but you can recore that thing. It'll be Oh fun. yeah. I uh, I think we'll probably probably recore it and the tanks look like they're in good shape just the you know the little hose connectors and everything are starting to break and they're getting brittle yeah. and so they'll give her the they'll give her the once over put her back together and she'll be 
good as new. So that's exciting. Still, still lasted quite a bit longer than an aftermarket uh, glued together radiator. Oh yeah, no question. I mean, that's the thing. You think about how many times those things heat cycle over the course of like literally fifty years. It's amazing, you know. It's amazing. It still yeah. works. Still keep it keeps the V8 Rover engine cool, which is like well, coolish, which is no easy task, as that thing is constantly trying to uh, liquefy itself. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was uh, good. It's uh, actually relatively easy to get out, and uh, like the Defender, thankfully, um, you can take it out without having to take the slam plate and everything apart. The the grill shroud and everything doesn't have to come off. It just lifts out, sort of, once you get the fan and everything out. So not too bad. All, all in all, uh, pretty uh, pretty good. So speaking of uh, 50-year-old uh, Land Rovers, or in this case, Land Rover enthusiasts, we finally have, I mean, probably one of the most anticipated guests, uh, or at least anticipated, depending on uh, your persuasion, uh, guest that we have been uh, trying the 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 white uh, whale of our podcasting endeavor here, uh, the world famous Michael Bishop, finally finally yeah. joining us here. Maybe on the show. maybe it's been difficult because you keep shooting harpoons at him. It is true. I've been trying to land <laughs> Michael Bishop as if he was a beluga. Um, but uh, finally, finally we have uh, we've we've convinced him uh, to come on the show um, and we'll we'll talk about it during the show but for a, for a, no better reason, certainly could not have found uh, a better a better time, a better excuse for Michael to come on. So, uh, let's rev up the interview uh, machine. Uh, I'm not sure what uh, what fluid it's uh, running on today. I think uh, it smells a, a little bit like uh, like a bacon grease, maybe. It's it's sort of like um, uh, CV grease and um, bile. I, I'm pretty sure that's what it runs on. Right, right. Makes total sense. Makes total yeah. sense. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we will uh, we'll rev her up and uh, get <laughs> uh, get Michael uh, in here, and uh, we'll go from there. Here we go. All right. Well, finally joining us, a, a storied individual in the Land Rover community, one of the uh, most uh, requested uh, guests, uh, specifically by Bob Ives, uh, you know, who, who has been asking for Michael to uh, be on the show for, uh, for the last uh, couple months. So uh, we are joined by the legendary, a member of the Holy Trinity of, uh, of Land Rover uh, enthusiasts, uh, Michael Bishop. How are you, sir? And welcome. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much, uh, Steve and Ike. Pleasure to be here, indeed. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, Bob recommending me. So yeah, that's a, that's an echelon to you know to be in you know the, the height of you know camel trophy royalty as well. It's just uh, yeah. I always pinch myself when these things happen. So he's a, he's really, an enthusiastic listener. He is. he is. I have to say, as we should probably shout Bob out every episode. He is. Uh, he's a he's a big fan of the show. Uh, you know, he has a lot of uh, tractoring uh, to do out there on the farm, and uh, so uh, somehow this, I'm sure, makes that task even more tedious. Uh, than if it was uh, so we appreciate it though we appreciate bob uh, immensely and we'll, we'll have bob back on the show uh, again sometime soon but michael uh you are uh, of course I, I mean as i said not even selling you short a, a storied individual in the land rover community and have been for uh for decades currently uh you currently are uh at the uh, jaguar land rover classic works specifically on the uh on the uh, land rover classics uh side um and ike and i were lucky enough 
enough to come and visit you uh, there at uh, at Land Rover Classics and see all the great cars you have on offer and the shop and the giant collection of double stacked Land Rovers, secret Land Rovers. Of course, nobody's supposed to know you have all this sort of business. It was really a joy to be there, and we appreciate you. Yeah, don't talk about the secrets. Yeah, it was uh, it was a joy to be there, a joy to see that all, and uh, yeah. So so talk just maybe for five minutes for those folks who don't a couple of minutes uh, 45 seconds for those people who don't know about uh land rover uh classics uh just to what you're working on now and then we'll sort of travel backwards in time and and talk about uh, some other stuff going on but uh what's the what's uh, what's on at the uh, land rover classics these days yeah so land rover classic at the you know effectively we have you know a number of programs around there's a you know obviously the, the reborns which was uh you know the series ones and and range rover and then we have the works v8 which is trophies just about to you know uh, launch its way into the world we've done the 70th edition previously we did a bespoke edition called the selfridges edition which is a one-off mm-hmm. so that that gives you a clue that there's a, you know there's there's you know a, a uh, yeah, a home for works works V8 Defender, mm-hmm. and then the other thing we have is what we call the Works Legends, which are all the uh, the vehicles in the showroom for sale. Be it you know a reborn that's come back to us, or something mm-hmm. we've seen in the in the marketplace. We've gone, yeah, that's really nice. That's really cool. Yeah, we wouldn't mind uh, putting our name behind that and uh, finding some customers and good homes for the these fantastic vehicles. Yeah, very cool. And and what an incredible showroom. I mean, anyone who has an opportunity to visit you guys mm-hmm. uh, there, it is. Uh, yeah, really, really cool stuff. And there's occasionally a, a partially destroyed James Bond uh, Range Rover uh, here and there, you know, or uh, or something like that. So definitely some neat, uh, some really, really neat stuff. And, yeah, always uh, yeah. a surprise. Some neat stuff uh, on display, kind of uh, mixing it up. Every time I see a picture of the showroom, there's a different orientation, different uh, selection of vehicles uh, worth stopping by more than once. Oh yeah, for sure, definitely. I've been there a number of times and uh, never, never disappoints. Always, uh, always a great. Uh, they're disappointed to see you, though. They are always disappointed. <laughs> uh, they they try to sort of make it seem like they're closed, draw the blinds, <laughs> turn the lights off. But I'll, I'll I'll look around until see someone moving inside. Um, so, Mike, let's let's travel back into uh, the past. We won't say to protect the innocent exactly how long in the past, but. Uh, why in the world uh, were you uh, first attracted to uh, the Green Oval? What brought you to Land Rover as a brand in the very first place? I suppose the best way to answer that is put it into the era. So this was the 1980s. Mm-hmm. I was a I was a, a kid doing a you know a paper round you know, in Melbourne, Australia. My uncle had a two and a half thousand acre farm outside of Melbourne. Um, which is in a, in a fantastic, you know, really green, really off-roady area. And I, 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 you know, at the paper shop, I saw the four-wheel drive magazines and I was like, well, wow, I've got to do something like this. Obviously, at that age, at sort of 12, 13, there was no way I was allowed to drive any of the farm vehicles or anything like that. So um, I was inspired by a school friend whose, whose dad had a uh, Series 2A mm. ex-Army long wheelbase, which, um, funny enough, they still have, they do. Wow. And, um, you know, uh, I sort of thought, well, you know, if Adam can get something like that, you know, I, you know, get access, I can do that. So I went and uh, looked in the local, you know, sort of papers called the Melbourne Trading Post. And there was, you know, it was the 40th anniversary era. And suddenly there was a lot yep. of news and suddenly a lot of these little 80-inch Land Rovers coming up. And, they were, you know, sort of $700, $800, $500. And I thought, 
yeah, I, I can afford that, you know, as, as right. you know, sort of the mad sort of 12, 13-year-old me was, yeah, $25 a week. I sort of like, yeah, that's that, I can do that, you know. So I saved up all my money. Um, Dad, was, Dad was pretty open to the idea, you know, which mm-hmm. is – I'm still in, you know, inspired by that decision because a lot mm-hmm. of parents would have just said no because he wasn't into – he's not into vehicles or cars or right, right. like that. And so, yeah, I went and, uh, you know – I'd come racing home on the tram from school, run, you know, it was on a Thursday, the paper shop, you know, grab the, grab the, grab the trading post, race home, because there's no mobile phones or anything that Yeah, day. yeah, right. Yeah, get, get, get to the, you know, ring up the first ad that I'd see, and usually, oh, the Land Rover's sold. Oh, sorry, sorry, mate, the Land Rover's sold. Sorry, mate, the Land Rover's sold. And so that went on for, for weeks, and I got really disheartened. There was one day, I, I just couldn't get hold of this bloke, and I rang and I rang and I rang, no answer. And the next morning, I decided to ring at seven o'clock in the morning, and, <laughs> yeah, and he answered. Yeah, and I was like, oh, "I really want the Land Rover. I've got to have the Land Rover. This and that." I was so I didn't I didn't care. I mean, he could have given me anything. I didn't know really what I was doing. But you know, he was he was a, he was a really good guy, and he'd been an enthusiast and belonged to the club and understood mm. why people are passionate about these vehicles and what it meant. So we jumped in the in, in the car, mum, mum and dad, and we went out to just us out Melbourne and bought this nineteen forty nine Land Rover, which luckily was a good one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I got that home as a pile of bits and uh, joined the club and some yeah you know, some like minded. Guys was like, oh, yeah, I, I, we started building old cars when we were teenagers and, you know, and made it quickly a, a set of friends and we put this little 80-inch back together and I was running it up and down the driveway by the time I was 15, 16. Oh, that's fantastic. And then later on, obviously, you became very much involved in the, you know, Land Rover Club and specifically in mm-hmm. the pre-production cars. Yeah, well, I was, I was, that 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 little step of you know going and buying the car, not really knowing quite what I was doing at that age, joining the club was 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 absolutely crucial to you know now, now looking yeah. back at you know what I've done because um, there was a few people who were obviously really good at advising you know the you know the the vehicle side and finding to get parts and putting it back together, but there's some other 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 guys who are really good at advising about you know where to yeah, I suppose focus your passion and mm-hmm. in those days it was writing putting stuff in the club magazine and I started writing a little thing called the series one page in the in the Landry mm-hmm. Owners Club Review magazine Victoria and um, there was a guy there Lloyd who he was, uh, you know, a, 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 he worked at, at a university. He was a, he was a, um, a computer scientist. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was very influential in HTML and its development oh, and the internet. Cool. And so he was the first guy to put a, a photograph of a Land Rover on the internet. And it was <laughs> he who suggested, he said, he said, oh, why don't you put some of this writing on the internet? So and Lloyd was, Allison? Yeah, Lloyd Allison. Yeah, you probably yeah. know Lloyd Allison. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, used to, yeah. I used to look at those uh, pages yeah. way back in the day. Yeah, Lloyd's fourwheeldriveonline.com. Yeah, that was. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's still got his own his own pages now, with yeah. a lot of my writing still on there. But that that was, um, you know, a catalyst to me, I suppose, communicating with other like minded people. And uh, when I started travelling over to the UK and buying and selling Land Rovers and doing a few things, people most people were like, "Oh, we've 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 read about you. You know, you 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 wrote that really good piece about about the you know yeah. the changes on the eighty and all this kind of thing." So. That was that was amazing, and it's hard to believe. You know, people always talk about the internet and how influential it is now, and what we do. 
Yeah, but I was doing that, and luckily, just pure luck in the you know the early to mid nineteen nineties, which is mm-hmm. you know decades ago now. It is a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it doesn't seem like it was a long time ago, but it was a long time ago now. Yeah, I mean, it was well, only what seven years ago. Yeah, seven years like ago. Nineteen ninety two was just like yeah, six seven years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's funny. I was talking. There's such a small world. This later, so I was talking to the other day on, on you know, through through social media, mm-hmm. the guy who had found my Land Rover back before mm. he sold it to the guy, and uh, who I bought it off, and mm-hmm. um, we we're just talking about about that. And so when I bought that 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 ATN, she was 38 years old. That vehicle, mm-hmm. and if you sort of think of you know, that put it into context, Discovery One is now over thirty years old. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, so yeah, yeah. in a few years' yeah. time, it'd been me buying that that forty nine eighties and equivalent of a youngster now, possibly. Yeah, looking at a late you know eighties Range Rover or you yeah. Know, yeah, 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 which great, plenty of people are doing, especially yeah. in the clubs and things. Uh, people buying those uh, first series Discoveries, the uh, Range Rover cl- end of the Range Rover Classic. That's absolutely the kind of things that. You know, people can afford now. People are buying and then and then using in you know clubs and trials and things like that. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's true. You don't really think it. It's, it's sort of depressing. Uh, you know, when uh, you think about it. Uh, but, well, I yeah, don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of I kind of like it because there was all those Range Rovers when I was a kid. And because yeah. ultimately, yeah, the you know twelve year old, thirteen year old me was just was thinking V eight. 90 you know of course, inspired yeah, by yeah, course, camel yeah. trophy australia and yeah, all those yeah, things yeah. and yeah obviously the 49 at the time was all i could afford yeah so you know yeah looking at those you know those guys now the youngsters coming through yeah if you could go and buy a, you know a late v8 range rover oh or, yeah. yeah something like that it's like yeah that's that's, yeah, that's pretty, pretty cool as your car. first car yeah, and that, that is yeah. a great car yeah i mean especially you know the late model v8 classic range rovers are just and they're and you know over here they're they're starting to become uh you know a, a bit pricey because i think people are realizing like this is a, this is a great car it's everything you want from a classic car without some of the things that you don't really want to deal with in a classic car and it's comfortable and it's really neat looking and it's yeah it's true it's it's sort of iconic and now of course the you know the sort of second place if you will 49 uh, series 1 is is uh, the thing of sort of high end collecting legend sort of now that's certainly nothing a, a teenager would uh, would would be after nowadays or maybe be after but certainly not be able to to obtain no, it's a, it's an interesting interesting uh, our world. It is how the how the Land Rover enthusiasm sort of you know channeled itself, and you know as I say, you know the, putting putting the vehicles and y- your context into the you know the the time frame of where you were or where the company yeah. was or anything like that is is, is critical to the stories. Yeah. yeah, and so from that uh, writing and uh, involvement in the Series One registry and the newsletter that is a that is a part of that, uh, you happened upon um, sort of an interesting gentleman, and we've of course uh, buried the lead uh, on uh, on not the only reason that you are here chatting with us uh, today, but a, a significant reason for the date that this uh, this show will of course come out uh, on uh, January thirty first, which is. Is the birthday, the hundred and first birthday, save you, of uh, Arthur Goddard, which is the uh, who is the subject of uh, your book. Uh, they found our engineer, and uh, and so talk to me a little bit first of all 
a very happy birthday to Arthur. Amazing uh, individual and uh, incredible story. And for anybody who hasn't read uh, Michael's book on the subject, uh, absolutely worth a read. Fantastic uh, and and super um, you know super interesting. Really great early Land Rover development stories. Um, so how is it that you came upon uh, this individual that had in in many ways sort of disappeared from the history of Land Rover? A very very important person, uh, but had sort of dropped out of uh, the annals of, of Land Rover history. It's interesting what what you know what what crossover you get you know when you start mm-hmm. getting into into vehicles and enthusiasts and you know people who are fans from all walks of life and people who work for the company and all that kind of those kind of little you know tentacles I suppose within yeah. within the Land Rover world. And um, yeah, one of the things you know that I was very curious about in those those early the nineteen nineties uh, was. If you're going to make a product like a like a like a Series One Land Rover, um, yeah, you you put a, we're putting a lot of investment in, a lot of tooling, a lot of a lot of work. You know, you have a big team, but that stopgap element of the story, you'd only make it for a year and sell it. That that didn't quite sort of gel entirely right. with me. How does that work? You just wouldn't. Yeah. You possibly, you know, such a risk you wouldn't make any money, and obviously a business, you know, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Land Rover or anything else. Is obviously to, you know, make money so it can pay its yeah. employees and you know, create a workforce and all that kind of thing. And so I was, I was, I was really quite interested in that. And when you see those those early cars, there is a lot of development work in them, and a lot mm-hmm. of development work going on as you move from a 1948 model to a 49, and from 49 to a 50, and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. What what people coined at the time and yeah, was the the missing link as to how you know that side of it worked um, was, was 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 so to me didn't make quite sense mm-hmm. um, and you know that message of yeah it was just, it's a post war stopgap we're only going to do it for two years I was sort yeah. of like now there's more to this there is right. there is definitely and um, alongside that yeah I was of course trying to find a very early Australian vehicle and uh you know such a big country you know like like north america you, you sort of you know you're looking over mm-hmm. a massive massive field and you know uh I, instead of trying to find the vehicles and write them down i had this idea of okay why don't we write down you know what vehicles were sent to australia and then when if you're ringing somebody up in the time once again before you know modern phones and you yeah. know your cameras you can ring them up and say you know what's what, what vehicle have you got and i say like oh i've got got this well you know tell the chassis numbers here yeah. I've, I've got a list i'll confirm it i can tick it off and yeah. we can you know we can you know say yeah it's it's one of those you know came from here came from there and that would give you sort of a more you know opportunity to define any you know any sales data or anything you could find about the history of the cars mm. now alongside that you know of course you're going through all these you know the, all the um all the uh, sales ledgers and you know dispatch books and stuff like that that are around but you know from grenville motors in new south wales or the mm-hmm. or the british motor museum mm-hmm. and one name kept on cropping up as you go through yeah and you go through and there was always this goddard name and you know any of the any any of the australian cars be writing down anything that was interesting internally dispatched to some, you know, Morris Wilkes or Spencer Wilkes or yeah, 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 uh, yeah internal factory vehicle. You write down the name, and when you had the database, it was like there was always in those, uh, you know, those first two or three years, Arthur's name popped up all the time. But of course, you you know, you'd read the stories and read the books, and there was never any mention yeah. of him. So it was just a name in the back of my mind. I thought, what did he do? You know, he must have done something really, really quite incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Didn't think anything more of it. 
until we'd moved over over here to the UK, 2008. Fast forward, I married, you know, I helped put together number 16 and bought number 16 pre-production. We've done all mm-hmm. this really, really cool stuff. And uh, just completely out of the blue, I was talking to a friend, Alex Massey, who you all know, who yeah, runs, well, who now yeah. runs in CKD shop, and he was a young young lad there. Very just bought his first Australian 48 model, and he just said mm-hmm. as an completely out of the blue comment, "Oh, there's this old guy Arthur Goddard down the road who's got a place opposite Dad's who used to work at Rover in the 1940s." Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, I can remember it exactly as it was. It was like it was yesterday. You know, I, was, I was like, you know, I wasn't quite listening to the conversation because something, you know, so, well, Alex delivery tends to sort of uh, run eye. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, he goes, he goes. <laughs> when he goes for it, he goes for it, doesn't he? And um, I think, you know, someone must have knocked on the front door and delivered something. I, it was something that distracted me, and I was, and mm. I was sort of like, wait a tick, say that again. You know, what was that? And he said, oh, and uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll go Arthur Goddard, and I was sort of like, that's, that's you know. In Wait Brisbane, Australia, you know, this is a nineteen sort of like, what's going on here? Yeah. And I said, how do you know? And he sent me this link, you know, to what was vehicle components, you know, page there in History of Arthur. And it was just like, you know, there's Arthur Goddard, he was, you know, the assistant chief engineer at Rover. And I was just sort of like, oh, my God, you know, oh. this is. And, uh, and yeah, Alex was, you know, he was still, you know, he's in his early, early 20s there, you know, very yeah. excitable as you are as a young man. <laughs> and I was like, you've got to interview him. And he's like, what does he do? And, I, you know, instantly, you know, I, could, I could just grab this list. He had all these interesting vehicles, including one of the pre-productions. And um, we came up with a plan, a very, very quick plan, to ask Arthur about testing of Land Rovers in Belgium for what became the Minerva Land Rovers. Right. And, well, yeah, because it was a very, very specific subject. It wasn't like mm-hmm. – so you could really sort of narrow down and pinpoint an area to see how – how, how, how his memory worked, how he was. So yeah. Alex went away and, uh, you know, came back 24 hours, you know, because in Australia, I was in the UK, with this interview. And it, and it was like Arthur had, you know, done this job testing these Land Rovers against, against Jeeps for the Belgian military in Antwerp, you know, two years ago. And he was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, he went to Mr. Van Roggen's place. We did this and that, and we set the vehicles up this way and that way, and they had prototype two-litre engines in them and, all that, all that information which is in the dispatch records was just, you know, Arthur could remember it. He could recall it. And I was just like, no way. It's amazing. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was unbelievable. So suddenly we were just like, you know, kids in a candy shop. This was unbelievable. So you could suddenly, you know, all these fantastic myths and stories around, you know, and the center steer and the pre-productions mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. missing link and, the you know, the stop gap and that. You had, you know, that insight, the assistant chief engineer. He was reporting to Morris Wilkes, mm-hmm. yeah, about that. He's like, right. So we, we we wrote down, you know, pages and pages of questions and, and where to go, and we we cross correlated with with information we knew, but in facts that what Arthur had done, and we've probably got into two or three videos, and those, these are you know video interviews yeah. of around about yeah. forty minutes long, and once we got into the third, and you know the yeah the information was liquid gold, I um. I contact. I knew by this point. I knew, knew Roger Craythorn at Landover yeah. pretty well. I'd done a, done a few few things, few things with him, and um, you know, number sixteen. And I was like, Roger, does name Arthur Goddard mean anything? And Roger's like, Yeah, he he was there until the sort of the late fifties, I think. He was, you know, mm-hmm. he was an engineer. I mean, before obviously before his time, Roger was yeah. you know, apprentice in the early sixties. 
And he was like, yeah, you need to ask you know, Jeff Miller and some of these other other people that are around there. And you, 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 and Jeff was easy to get hold of in those days. Ring up Jeff and get Jeff like, yeah, I, I remember him being about. Obviously, Jeff was a very, in the 50s, he was a very young engineer. Like, yeah, oh, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, Arthur was, you know, one of the big guys. He was one of the, yeah. you know, the big dogs, you know, kind of thing. And um, this, this ended it up, up with... Um, you know, talking to Arthur, and he's saying, "Oh yeah, I worked with with Spen Spen King on the jet yeah. cars before Spen, yeah, jet Spen cars, uh, yeah. yeah, and all this." And so, I ended up going to going to interview Spen King. <laughs> and oh wow! Spen, Spen was like, "Yeah, I, I you know remember Arthur and Arthur Arthur's personality is he's he's a bit of a larger than life character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he's a very very strong personality, very confident, even even today. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know um, knows exactly what he's doing with engineering. You know." Uh, and he's, he's been there, done that. And after his career at Rover, he became assistant uh, technical director for Girling Brakes. He yeah, invented, for Girling Brakes, he, yeah. He invented modern Girling disc brakes, uh, the Dunlop disc brakes. He knew, you know, all, all anyone who's, you know, a, an influential engineer in the 1960s and, and 70s, he knew them. He worked wow. with them. Wow. And so, yeah, it was just, well, you know, unbelievable. You know, sort of pinch yourself. I still pinch myself now, at, you know at um, that opportunity, that happening and, you know, getting all those fantastic stories. And when you get a whole pile of stories, you, you want to I, – I, I tend to want to share them, you know. Yeah, with people. yeah. So putting it into a book was an instant no-brainer. Made me. total sense because it started yeah. off, right, as sort of articles, if you will, in the Land Rover Registry um, and then from there – Obviously developed into into deciding to do the book. In all, in all honesty, it was, there was nothing quite like it. You know, there yeah. was uh, um, at the time. It, it, yeah, doing all the you know sort of the focused you know things over how they developed the long wheelbase Land Rover, which started off as yeah. 104 inches, and you know they went to 107 because you just you know if you get an 86, yeah, you get an 86 inch. Those you take the Tickford cab you know. prototypes of the long wheelbase, yeah. Oh. Yeah, all that really cool stuff. You know, Arthur could sort of yeah. ex- explain it, and um, mm-hmm. you know, this is what mm-hmm. we're doing, and this is this is you know, conceptually, this is what we we're trying to achieve. And because you look at you know, look at you know, think of a pro. You know, most people, of course, go back to an early Land Rover, and they think of an incredibly simple, you know, vehicle yeah. where you can fold the windscreen down, and you don't have a heater and that. Whereas, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, at the time, you know, Rover, you know, they were looking around the world at other products and they were seeing, you know, quite sophisticated utility vehicles coming yeah. out of North America and out of Australia. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. well, that's the competition, you know. Yeah. If you take it from Australia, a Holden utility, you know, yeah. which is based off the sedan, you know, it was, really quite, a, it was quite a plush vehicle at the time. So yeah. they're thinking yeah. long wheelbase, we need to do something which is a, a little bit more interior lines along the lines of a Tickford station wagon than right. just, you know, you know, a nineteen forty eight Landra where you fold the screen down, and, uh, so yeah. <laughs> you, and once you got that concept, that concept idea, you sort yeah. of go, okay, I start to you know get yeah. how this works. Yeah, we're going to take a very quick break to hear from this sponsor. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. And now back to the show. 
I think the interesting thing about uh, your book and about these stories is that they're from the point of view of an individual, uh, Arthur, as opposed to, and, and I mean, James Taylor has done some amazing histories of Land Rover and, you know, this door panel is supposed to have these rivets in this place is kind of a thing. But what I, I really love about, and I've read it several times now, what I really love about your book is that it is very much, uh, you know, the story of one individual's experience and not necessarily the, you know, this Land Rover begot that Land Rover begot this and these bolts got moved from there and this has this kind of thing, which is great. And and as a, a piece of sort of academic literature and research literature, the, those books are fantastic and I love you know, reading the James Taylor books, but this is a, this is very much, you know, the sort of the story of building a thing. And that thing just happens to be a Land Rover uh, more than it is the sort of, you know, chronological history of the evolution of the Land Rover product, which I think is really, really cool. And it's interesting and fun to read from a non, I mean, if you didn't have a Land Rover, you didn't care about early Land Rovers, it's still a good uh, read just as a, you know, a study in the way an engineer thinks through things or the way a company sort of iterates on. So, I mean, it's just, it is, it's really good in that way. I think it's really important as well that people, you know, understand that, you know, a modern vehicle manufacturer is always looking forwards because, you know, you know, and if you look at, you look in the news today, you know, of what's happening in the automotive world and, you know, where, where it's going, obviously that's, you know, the core business needs to be moving with that. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you, if you, if you put that context of where, where the core business was in the, you know, 1940s and the 1950s and the 1960s, you'll see, you'll see different, different, you know, pictures and different patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, if you, if you, if you, hopefully, you know, what I, what I've put down, you've, you've got a a snap picture of that. So you can look at, um, you know, say a a series three, for example, and uh, you can say, okay, so what is a series three Land Rover really about? And the series three Land Rover, obviously, they've got a, a fantastic product, but mm-hmm. it needs a plastic grill because that's legislation. It needs, you know, anti-burst door locks. You know, it needs it needs all these things to fit in the context yeah. of as the product in that time. That's right. And and in talking to Arthur and all these all these guys, Roger, you know, yeah, you you understand that, you know, that you know, you know, an automotive company, manufacturer is is a business, and they've got to you know work with mm-hmm. with the markets and with legislation and all these things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it, and we've said this before that, you know, the, the defender of today kind of answers the question of what that vehicle should be, much like the defender of the 1980s and 90s answered the question of, that was being asked then. And the, you know, series one, series two, series three is the same, same sort of thing. It's also a little bit of like what people wanted from, uh, you know, from a car, uh, for every, uh, you know, for everyone who says, uh, you know, ah, the new defender, we, we don't like that at all. It's just, it's just of the whatever there was a you know there was a, a person in 1960 saying that about uh, you know a series uh, two hey I'm sure saying that was oh, me. we don't need all this uh, you know yeah and it was like <laughs> yeah and it still is yeah you know but uh, but no I agree and I think it was interesting to read about those iterations on you know what was the the product in series one and then series two and then series three and sort of look at it from that you know 
if we were in 1950, the Series 2A is, uh, or the Series 2 rather, is a major evolution of mm-hmm. the original 80-inch, you know, the 107. It's a total departure in many ways. Now we look back at it and we say like, oh, well, you know, no, not really. I mean, all the way from Defender to Series 1, they kind of look the same and they sort of do. But, you know, having that iteration at the time, I'm sure there was a bunch of Ikes saying like, oh, body line, what is that all about? What do you need that little oh, curvy the styling department is all downhill from there. Yeah, it's all downhill yeah. <laughs> but then again, what's the 1960s about? It's all about styling, isn't it? It's all yeah. about trendy shirts and, you know, short dresses and all this cool design-based stuff. So the vehicle suddenly has yeah. to fit in that world. So yeah. it needs to be styled. It needs to have a little skirt so you don't see the chassis. It needs, you know, that line down the side so your eye carries 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 yeah. right down the side of the, the body side. And suddenly when you put it into that context and you totally get this the change yeah. of the evolution and suddenly you know, nobody wants that single wiper. You want... You know, wipers that, you know, move in, in unison like your mom and dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. like every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah, that's the product. It's really funny just mentioning, you know, about um, about the way people perceive, you know, sort of, a, you know, a major, you know, change in technology or something like that. One of the vehicles I do, I was very lucky to, to have and own, and a friend of mine's got it, I can always, you know, hopefully one day get it back. Was Australia's first uh, Range Rover, mm. um, and not many people know this story. But um, I, I, I chased it down. We were chasing around and chasing it, and I managed to find it just down the road um, from my from my family home by <laughs> purely by luck. <laughs> and eventually, I found some some videos, some old films of it within the club of it going around Australia and being shown to enthusiasts, and yeah, you know, and yeah. You know, at the time, this was sort of nineteen seventy seventy one Australia. Everyone was like, these coil springs, they're no good. They're not right. going to work. Yeah, they, this, 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 is, this is nonsense. And, and you know, yeah, that's what their view was at the time. Yeah. And that technology obviously proved them wrong, you know. And, right. Uh, right. you know, and, and uh, that, that's the way it happens. People come up with, you know, I remember TD5s coming out and people were like, oh, my God, it's got a computer in it. Oh, yeah, right. better fix yep. this. And, yeah, know, people fix TD5s, yeah, you know. That's well, right. Yeah. Yeah, well, the TDCI uh, defenders, I think, are are sort of uh, now largely regarded as the best one that they've ever that they ever did. You know, the last one was sort of the best one, which I remember when the TDCI came out. They said, "What a Ford Transit motor! What a, nobody's ever gonna. That's terrible." That, and if you know, it's sort of like now. Of course, we look back and we sort of say, like, "Well, that's the defender that everybody wants now." <laughs> you know, that's the one that uh, you know that the, they're sort of the the most popular. Because again, I think it's it's a little more usable. It's a little the manner are a little nicer they're you know all, all that sort of stuff and and i think that, that you're exactly right that you know uh leaf springs there's always going to be somebody who doesn't like coil springs coil springs there's always going to be somebody who doesn't like airbags airbags there's always going to be somebody who doesn't like independent suspension you know it just sort of goes forward but then we sort of get to a place where well that's just what we have and it and it works and it's refined and it and it works better than the before and you know, people don't want to talk about the fact that, you know, a brand new Defender 90, save the, you know, bit of body damage you could maybe incur, is going to be far easier to do way more difficult things off-road than my classic Defender or the series cars. Not to say that they all don't have their own individual experience, but when it comes simply from, like, a technology equals capability standpoint, like, of course the new thing's always better, and that's not necessarily what it's about, but... um, No, it's not. Yeah, no. It's not, but it's interesting, and we'll maybe you know we'll sort of shift gear a little to say that it is interesting that Land Rover has made the decision to uh, not necessarily completely forget about the history of Land Rover, and a lot of car companies now 
I would say largely, uh, you know, European, UK-based car companies have really uh, decided that no, no, no. You know, actually, the nostalgic, uh, the the previous cars, the the history of the company is actually really important to reinforcing that brand uh, going forward. I think everybody now is starting to do uh, not necessarily something to the scale of the Land Rover Reborn or Jaguar continuation or or those sort of things, but you know, every luxury brand certainly has something going at that you know, kind of level now. And now we're even starting to see that, uh, you know, Mini is offering an electric conversion kit for the classic Mini. Uh, so BMW is getting into that business to a certain extent. And Ford is starting to, uh, you know, make electric crate motors for old Broncos and things like that. So what, what, are, what are your thoughts on the world of looking back at the history and that now, unlike the maybe 1990s and, and uh, you know, 2000s, where car companies sort of said, Ugh, what came before doesn't matter, we don't want to look at that. You know, what, what, are, what are your thoughts? Obviously, it's, uh, it's, it's what you do every day. But just generally speaking, what do you think of that? I think the opportunity to come and, you know, apply, you know, all these, you know, fantastic stories, you know, of, of the of the previous, you know, products and previous eras um, to the, you know, the two, you know, great nameplates, you know, Land Rover and, and Range Rover. And also the other things. I mean, when I was working at Sullyhull, it was just, you know, that was unbelievable. You know, Sullyhull, mm-hmm. you know, a factory, a World War Two factory that right. has a test track on it and has these two incredible, iconic, you know, brands yeah. coming from, you know, sort of Land Rover and Range Rover. And you, you're sort of like, okay, you know, what other what other manufacturers have got that? And you know, yeah. you can think of a few others that have a have a test track. You can yeah. go others that you know, and you know, what a great story. You got there's it, just so much to it, you know, so much you can you can do with it. And um you know, I suppose social media gave us the opportunity to, you know, or, or or you know, people with brands to talk about their past a little bit more. Whereas, you know, traditionally with print media, with the newspapers when we were a kid, of course, they're always talking about here's the new whatever right. it is. Right. Uh, there wasn't really the space or the, you know, the, you know, the, the financial way of, you know, right. you know, going other than someone writing a history book or something like this and, and that. But you know, being able to, you know, use that content. You know, is yeah, it's a real buzz. It's it's yeah, when you when you when you get it right, it's breathing pure oxygen. You know, some of the thing. Yeah. Well, it's it's yeah, it's interesting you say the factory because like the factory is as much a, a a sort of Land Rover classic experience as going to the the you know the classic showroom and looking at the cars. That factory, which it's very cool that Land Rover still lets people drive around those tracks and you can go and sign up for one of the driving things and and sort of do that. It's so cool that they still let people do that and that they you know they encourage it. I mean, you know, it's a it's a Disneyland for Land Rover enthusiasts, uh, and uh, and that's very cool. I don't think uh, to your point. I don't think a lot of marks. You know, you can't. I don't think there's a Ford test track you can go to in Detroit and uh, you know drive around an old F one fifty. Maybe there is. I don't know, but uh, you know, certainly nothing to the legendary scale of going to that original factory and and seeing those spaces and driving those those yeah. tracks. Yeah, definitely. Or you know, East. No, you I mean you can go and drive Gearbox Hill where yeah. Roger and they tested Range Rover. You can you can go and do all that. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's a fairly unique brand. You know, Land Rover. We can you can do all these fantastic things just as a you know just as an everyday enthusiast yeah i've driven down gearbox hill it is a it is a little you could imagine in a in an in a prototype vehicle <laughs> that you're not 100 percent sure if everything is going to hold on that uh it could be a little end of certainly plenty of stories of people driving down on the roof of the car instead of on the wheels mm, i've done a lot of laps around gearbox hill 
but that's yeah. another story for another day. Yeah, hopefully never yeah, on yeah. the roof. Yeah, yeah good, good. <laughs> no, yeah, no, good, no, good. no, no, no. Yeah, good, no, good. No, no, no. <laughs> well, it's coming to that time uh, where, well, first of all, obviously, um, again, uh, we can't uh, touch enough on, uh, you know, Arthur's birthday, 101 years old, incredible uh, achievement. He's still well, yes? Have you spoken to him lately? No, but we've, I've kept in touch with, with Chris, his son, you know, quite quite closely on you know how he is and uh obviously i'll be getting in you know getting in touch to uh, you know uh, you know make sure that uh, he's he's okay and uh, everything's good and he's enjoyed the day and had a fantastic fantastic experience and uh, um yeah i'll take it oh uh, yeah I'll yeah well certainly that. a happy birthday from us yeah. and uh yeah all of the uh, listeners of the show can you, uh, speaking of which, can you tell our listeners where they can get a copy of your book? Yeah, the best place to get it is on good old Amazon. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the publisher I use is a print-on-demand publisher. And if you, you can, can go onto, uh, onto their site, which is a little bit obscure, but if you just go and type into good old Google, you know, they found our engineer. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, that's, the, that's the first and easiest place to get it at the recommended retail price. Yeah, a, a, a definitely, definitely a read uh, that uh, they need to do. We're we're starting, uh, Michael, a uh, a underpowered hour book club, and uh, and uh, the, uh, the your book is uh, is definitely uh, one of the first uh, one mandatory of the first reading. Lot. Yeah, mandatory reading, mandatory reading for no. For thank you very much. Affiliation. So, yeah, and like I said, it's just great because it is a good story. It's not just the rivet counting and and that sort of business. Which again, those are great. And I love those books and have and probably an excessive amount of them, but. Um, but I love a you know I love a story sort of in the vein of the you know sort of uh, first Overland and those sort of things mm-hmm. where it's really telling a story that just happens to feature Land Rover as a as a character, but it's not necessarily a study of the you know deep inner workings of of the car itself. Yeah. Now one of the things I was very aware of at the time is I wanted to get the story out. I didn't want to you know sort of procrastinate and try and do something which was absolutely what in my mind's I would be perfect. Um, you know, because Arthur, even even then, when he's late late eighties, late nineties, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I wanted to make sure that he he had his moment, you know, of uh, you know uh, celebrating his career, and uh, you know, uh, not just with you know just with Lander with Girling and you know all those all yeah. those other things that he did. Um, but I'm still looking at various elements of it. You know, there's um, I'm always you know one of the one of the fascinating things you know about about Lander is is you know the way right through to the modern products the you know the functionality of the off-road sort of traces right you can trace it right back to those those very early cars and the pre-productions that through dash control system that never really came to anything but that inspired you know the simple series system with the red and yellow uh yellow knobs and you know talking to you know arthur and you know he developed that, you know, <laughs> sort of like, mm-hmm, wow. Mm-hmm. And if you sort of, you know, if there's a flattery in an engineering system, I think that series system is probably one of the systems which has been uh, borrowed, you know, yeah. uh, around the world. And uh, uh, that, Yeah, yeah. They, they used that for like 35 years or something crazy. Like that. Yeah, and there's, there's some, yeah, there's systems which aren't too dissimilar mm-hmm. to it. You know, we're still in, uh, in, uh, in other in other off-road style vehicles it's also it's a it's a popular uh, uh you know a forgotten element that uh, arthur also came up with the uh, tiny cactus mode you can put the car into tiny cactus or into a giant snowflake well that's the, where the uh, red and yellow knobs come from because it's, it's yeah. really simple it's psychology yeah. simple psychology it is you know so yellow when you're in you know is cautionary isn't it so you think about a way you know a, a, you know, a, a normal series vehicle not the really mm-hmm. early ones with the, mm-hmm. uh, you come along yellow, so you you look at the road 
and you press yellow because it's cautionary and mm-hmm. you know it just goes into that whereas if you want if something really hairy comes up you want to stop so red stop put it into low range think about what you're doing and so that that visual association to terrain response grass yeah. gravel snow mud rut sand rock crawl yeah. you look at you look at the road you go oh yeah i need that so it's exactly yeah. the same Exactly the same from a functionality point of view. No, it's very cool. It's yeah. neat to see that evolution and that that sort of thinking behind there. And uh, yeah, the rock crawl, uh, tiny cactus mode on the on my uh, series land over is all not working properly. So unfortunately, <laughs> I put the I put the dial there, but it just is not connected to anything. So it's just, I'm it's sure I just can a, pick that for you. It's a hockey puck that uh, Ike has uh, has whiteout penned mm. those little things on, and it just doesn't. It's actually not hooked up to anything, but it does make me feel better. So. It took him three days before he worked up the courage just to ask me about it. Yeah, like, did you, uh, is this, uh, how does this work? I don't, it uh, doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, actually it's not connected to anything at all. I, I think it may just be a hockey puck. Is this, uh, anyways, but, uh, well, uh, Michael, this is the time in the show. Everyone, uh, every uh, viewer, uh, listener uh, looks forward to, and I think every guest uh, dreads, is uh, Ike's uh, legendary, world-famous lightning round uh questions uh, very difficult uh, jeopardy uh style um it's not it's not at all jeopardy style <laughs> uh, formed into the uh, the answers are in the form of a question uh anyways ike take it away all right michael have you uh, are you familiar with the lightning round now just give me a little, just go through the uh the, the rules and circumstances you know what, what do you want what do you want from me there are, there are absolutely no rules just uh just quick questions with quick answers and uh you know there's five or ten and uh we'll see uh, we'll see how you do okay are you ready? Yeah, you're just going to ask me part numbers. What part number is, you know, 2172, you know. <laughs> I really two, three, one, six, seven, one. Yeah, the wheel, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's more opinions. All okay. right? You ready? Yep, go for it. All right, gas or diesel? Depends on the vehicle. All right, all right. Leaves or coils? Depends on the vehicle. Oh, man, brutal. Light green or bronze green? Depends on the vehicle. I like them all. I'm sensing a theme here. Ring pull or levers? Once again, I think it depends on the vehicle. You know? <laughs> I love both of them. I've got a ring ring pull vehicle, and I've got you know, they're good in there, both in their own individual way. You know. All right, all right, all right. H U E or J U E? H U E. All right, all right. What is the best way to remove gear oil from your underwear? <laughs> you um. The Swarfiga, that um, that that stuff they use in the UK. You just anything, anything you get on your on your clothes, anything you, you know, just grind a little bit of Swarfiga into it. You know, shove it in the washing machine. Don't tell the wife, and everything will be yeah, yeah. very practical answer. Very practical answer from somebody that's obviously that's happened to before. <laughs> from a very never, practical never, individual, never. individual <laughs> indeed. All right, well, Michael, hey, thank you so much for your time. This I hope is the first of many uh, visits to the show, as we can't even in a, in an hour long uh, interview possibly scratch the surface of the depth of uh, of knowledge and involvement in uh, in the world of land rovering that you've had but uh, thank you for this and uh, and what a better way to uh, celebrate uh, Arthur's 101st uh, birthday than uh, than your first appearance of what I'm sure will be 101 visits to the underpowered hour. Thank you very much. Michael, great to have you on. No, thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. Yeah. All right. Well, again a an incredible uh feat happy 
happy, happy birthday to uh, Arthur Goddard, the uh, one certainly of the fathers of the Land Rover uh, as we know it. And uh, the Land Rover probably wouldn't be what it is uh, today uh, without uh, his involvement. And uh, very cool that uh, Michael was, you know, there and able to spend the time and uh, and get the great book. Uh, if you haven't read They Found Our Engineer, um, it is uh, amazing. It is amazing. It's super fun. It's a great read. Um, and uh, yeah, so so more more to come on that and and hopefully uh many years uh, left uh, to uh, Arthur and and uh, the team. So uh in other news uh, next week go oh, speaking of speaking of amazing guests uh my good friend Eichenel uh, Gussifer we have uh your good friend my good friend and one of our big uh UK uh visits uh the the legendary if you will Julian Schulheifer next week looking looking forward to that that's a huge guest that's a big get uh of course uh, julian uh, was uh in charge of the sort of uh i don't know maybe uh, the he helped to shepherd along uh the you know rebirth whatever you want to call it of uh of jue 477 the first production land rover um the entire interview is just going to be semantics what do you call this what do you call this thing? Is it a, what is it? How do you, and so, uh, yeah, can't wait to talk to Julian about that. That's a super exciting interview coming up. And then uh, we have a very special, like a Hallmark, like a Hallmark video, a very special Valentine's Day episode uh, coming up after that, where uh, your uh, Jenna and my Eliza will uh, will be joining us to uh, talk about a couple of tales. Uh, oh, it's not tales from the trails. It's that's, that's a trip. That's a trip. By by internet poll, it was voted. That's uh, that's a that's, that's going to be an embarrassing one. Oh, it's going to be just terrible. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be great. I can't wait. We've got some great stories. So, uh, as always, uh, please uh, head on over to the old uh, YouTube and uh, check that out. Like and subscribe. <laughs> uh, turn on and uh, slam that uh, notification bell. And uh, head over to the uh, Patreon if you haven't. Uh, check some stuff out there. Great stuff there. We've got new stuff coming up on the store all the time. All these things can be found at uh, theunderpoweredhour.com and uh, you can uh, yeah, you can order away. Uh, interesting Interesting uh, booklets uh, that don't have enough pages, apparently. Great T-shirts, stickers galore, uh, anything uh, your heart uh, desires. So, uh, Ike, it looks like uh, that's it uh, for this week. Unfortunately, we have, again, run out of time uh, for your review of Nando's, but we will make sure to work that in in a future episode. I'm crushed. That's really starting to get to me. Yeah, it's too bad. Well, we'll get them on there at some point. Uh, It's only a matter of time. So, it's been uh, a pleasure, as always, Ike, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, see you. Looking forward to it. The Underpowered Hour is produced by me, Steve Barris, and Ike Goss. Pavel Svardov composed and performed our theme music. Consider supporting the show on Patreon, and if you already do, thank you. Your support makes the show possible. For even more, check out our Instagram or Facebook. <laughs>